0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done to gather us together into your house, to hear your word, to receive your gifts, and we pray, you, move by your spirit to remove uh, distraction from our hearts and minds, and lead us ever to Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This text is always a little bit of a challenging one as it presents before us a Jesus that we don't always wrap our heads around. We love that Jesus. We honor and respect and see what Jesus has done for us as we look at him on the cross over there. But this idea of Jesus getting angry and mad with a whip of cords and pushing people out of the temple, that's a little different, isn't it? I mean, think about the setting that was going on. This was the Passover of the Jews. This was the day that they would celebrate all that God had done, leading them out of slavery in Egypt, bringing them through the Red Sea and watching Pharaoh and all of his chariots and army drown in the waters as he brings his people to the foot of Mount Sinai to receive from his gifts and his word and to receive his law and to know what it meant to be loved by God and be the people of God, to have watched his protection happened firsthand as all of the destruction would fall upon the Egyptians. To know that they were saved by the hand of God. That's what they were celebrating, a week-long feast. And in the midst of that feast, over the years and decades and centuries and all of the practices that had just kind of come into play became convenient. Instead of, you know, getting a sacrifice way out there in the marketplace or bringing one from wherever you were walking around from, because during the Passover, Jerusalem would change from about 10 to 20,000 people to about 200,000 people. Met, quick way for you to realize that. Think of the entirety of the city of Escondido showing up in downtown Valley Center. Would all the shops be ready for that? Would all the bathrooms be ready for that? Would all of the grocery stores be ready for that? I mean, where's everybody going to buy food? Where's everybody going to get their necessary sacrifices to bring to the feast, to the Passover? Right? So it became convenient. You know what? Instead of having to go buy all that stuff out there, we'll just prepare it for you right here at the temple. Just show up, bring the right monies, we'll exchange it for you. And uh, you can just give us your monies, we'll, we'll take care of the oxen and the sheep and the doves and all that kind of thing. You don't even have to get your hands dirty, we'll do it all for you. It's convenient. I mean, you can see where they're coming from. But was that the purpose of the house? Not in Jesus' words, right? He said, get these things out of here. You've turned my father's house, the house of prayer into a house of trade. Turned it into a marketplace. You've turned it into a place of selling forgiveness. You've turned it into a place of doing things that you're not supposed to be doing in this place. This is a house of prayer. They had lost their purpose. So this Jesus is a little bit of a hard one for us to figure out sometimes. We love the meek and mild Jesus. We love the forgiving Jesus, the healing Jesus. But an angry Jesus? An irate Jesus, one who is actively pushing people away from the temple of God, that's a tough Jesus to think on. The who of who that is is a little harder for us to deal with. But more often than not, we just kind of let that one slide aside and we're pretty comfortable with who we believe in, in this Jesus. We're pretty confident in what we believe about Jesus, right? Except that, that one always gets a little confusing sometimes, too. I think about all the different things that people believe about Jesus. He was a good teacher. He was the Messiah. He was the son of a carpenter. He was a moral guy. He was a political upstart, rebel rouser. Right? So we even have to wrap our heads around a little bit about what we believe about Jesus. But if you get the who right and you say, okay, I believe in this Jesus as Savior and, and the what about him right according to Scripture, why? Why do you believe about Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe him to be the Savior? Why do you believe him to be the Son of God? Why is it that you believe? Sometimes growing up, from infants to adults in the church, we never wrestle with the question of why. We just do. I think that's maybe where some of the religious leaders had gotten off track at the temple. They forgot why they were there. They forgot the purpose of all of it. They forgot who this God was, maybe. And they just held on to the rules and the laws and started checking the boxes. And they forgot the why. So the question's posed to you why do you believe in Jesus? Is it for scientific, logical, reasonable arguments for Jesus? It's a good start. Nothing wrong with that. But remember, our reason is just as corrupted by sin as everything else. There's a limit to our reason. There's a limit to our understanding. And if it's based in science, there's a lot of things that point to God, but can't quite cross that threshold to prove God scientifically, right? There's a lot of things you can't quite prove scientifically. There's a lot of things that you end up at a point of just needing to believe for one reason or another. And even for the disciples, I mean, think about them walking along with Jesus right before this account at the temple in John's gospel. The disciples had just been at a wedding with him where there was no wine, and all of a sudden, there was wine. They didn't necessarily know how it happened because he didn't make it known that he had done that, but the servants all knew, the folks in the background all knew. They knew something was a little mysterious about this guy, and as time would go on, they would see him heal people. They would see him do miraculous things. They would see him do signs and wonders and all kinds of stuff that did not make sense in the regular order of creation, but this guy could do stuff like that. And yet, yet they still weren't quite sure. They still weren't quite sure why they were following, why they stayed with him. Sometimes the, the reasoning experiential side can get us to a point, but it's a little harder to have it be our whole reason. Maybe it's following Jesus for all the good things and blessings. That's pretty good. They got to eat when there was no food, right? We can look to the things that God gives, but if the whole reason why we believe in God and why we believe in Jesus and why we believe him to be the Savior is only based in the good, blessed things of life, what happens when things aren't good? All of a sudden, that foundation is pretty shaky isn't it? We start wondering, is God really who he says he is? If he doesn't take care of me in the middle of the bad times, why would he let me suffer? Why would he let these things weigh upon me? Why would I be so ridden with guilt? Why would the sins that I thought I had control over, I don't have control over anymore, and they continue to break apart my relationship with God and continue to break apart the relationships I see around? Why, God, all the evil? If you're so good, loving. it. It's a hard foundation. Now, there's nothing wrong with the good things that God gives by all means. We thank him for those. But if those solely are the foundation, then it starts to get a little harder. Maybe it's it's the same reason that the disciples believed. It's why we believe in Jesus. Did you hear it at the end of the scriptures there, the end of the scripture reading? Jesus is standing there, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders come to him, and they say, what sign are you doing? Why are you doing all these things? Why should we believe in you? And he says, well, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. He said, that's not possible. (laughs) That doesn't match our experience. It took 46 years to build this place. I know you're a good carpenter. Your dad was pretty awesome. But come on now, three days for the marble and gold and acacia wood and everything else that this shining beauty of a temple is you're going to build it in three days and the disciples were left confused by that one too until until they saw him die and rise if anybody ever asks why do you believe in jesus it's pretty simple Because he said he'd rise from the dead, and he did. Because his word is true. Because he's the word of God embodied in the flesh. He is the new temple that tabernacled amongst his people. He is the sacrifice that was done at the temple, but now the sacrifice that's not locked to the temple. The one time necessary sacrifice for all of the world. And it wasn't just in his death that everything was done, but in his resurrection, Go look up any other religious leader and see if they've risen from the dead. They haven't. You can find their bones, you can find their graves, you can find their bodies, you can find all those things. But Jesus, not only is he word, the word, he's a man of his word. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And John says the disciples had no idea what he was talking about until he did. And that Jesus is the Jesus that has risen for you. That Jesus is the Jesus that is still present with us as the sacrifice necessary for our sins and as the risen Lord who is still living, the one who has promised to come again, the one who gives us purpose, the one who gives us an opportunity to praise, the one who gives us an ear to pray to. It's beautiful, wonderful, true word of our Lord, that is the foundation of our faith and why we believe in who we believe in and what we believe he's done. It's because it's true. All those other things, the good things, the what's to believe in, all those kind of things, we see those come from the hand of God because Satan could just as easily offer you all the good things. In fact, he did to Jesus, except without all the suffering. See, Jesus is the one who did exactly what he said he was going to do. Come into the temple, take the place of all the sacrifices, die on behalf of the world, rise again to reconcile it to the Father. And then he promised to come back. That's a pretty good word to wait on, isn't it? Why should we believe that word? Well, he did it once before, rising from the grave. I'm pretty sure he can make his way back from heaven in the right hand of the Father as he lives in glory and promises to come back and gather all of his people together into his presence where sacrifices are no more needed, where sin is no more a presence, where all the things that we have, that we question would all be gone and all of the stuff that hurts is done with. Because it would be life in the presence of our Lord into eternity. A presence that he gives you in little bits now. A life in his kingdom which is present from your baptism. Gathered together as God's people around his word that remains. Receiving him in the gifts of communion and knowing that your Lord is living and present for you. That's a beautiful thing to believe in, isn't it? Knowing that God loves you so much that not only did he die, he rose and he continues to be present with you. That's the Lord we believe in. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the ways in which throughout history you have pointed us to your steadfast love and mercy. And as your word took on flesh, as your son, Jesus stood in the place of the temple and the sacrifices to be the one and only sacrifice necessary for us. We thank you, Lord, for rising him from the dead as you promised to give us the same resurrection because of the Lord's work done for us. We look forward to the day that he comes again as he has promised, and we know that his word is true. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you, amen.